It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. My co-host Larry Dersham and I have a very special guest for you. And he's going to talk about something that continues to be in the headlines because it is just that important. And it has to do with election integrity. Now, thankfully, some of these claims, these allegations that have now been corroborated with many instances across the country, affidavits, surveillance footage, a spike in the middle of the night on November 3rd, I could go on and on, but we finally moved out of the court of public opinion and into a court of law, finally. But it is about more than just merits and math. In other words, it shouldn't just be outcome determinative regarding which lawsuits are pursued, because this is bigger than that. In fact, President Trump said this himself, that it's about more than him at this point. It's about, can we guarantee free and fair elections in America? Uh, Should we be able to guarantee that? Shouldn't we care, regardless of whether or not it changes the outcome in any particular state, that legal votes count and illegal votes don't? Here to help us break it down, Larry, who do we have on the line? Yes, Wendy. Today, I'm honored to introduce Dr. Jerome Corsi. Dr. Corsi received his PhD in political science from Harvard University. He resides with his family in New Jersey. He's been a frequent guest on so many radio stations and television stations, I can't name them all, but one, for example, Fox News, Fox Business, CNN, MSNBC, and so forth. Dr. Corsi is a best-selling author and has written 25 books since 2004, including six on the New York Times bestseller list, two of which reached number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Dr. Corsi is also the founder and CEO of CorsiNation.com. It's a great site. You should all check that out. Welcome to the program, Dr. Corsi. It's great to be with you, Dr. Wendy and Larry. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the discussion today. Dr. Corsi, you become quite a household name in many political circles, and uh, that's partially because of the passionate work you continue to do in this area. And uh, we are just thrilled to have you on the show and wondering, we know a little bit of the answer to this because we've followed your website, but looks like you are an active participant, so to speak, in some of this post-election, these battles in pursuit of maintaining some kind of election integrity. What's the latest? Well, the, uh, the, uh, I've got an ebook which is out on tr- called Trump Wins, and it's on my website, CorsiNation.com. And uh, I think Trump is going to win. I think he's going to triumph in the Supreme Court, and I think he'll be reelected in uh, second term, uh, inaugurated again on January 20th, 2021. And I know with all of the psychological warfare that's being played uh, by the Biden camp and the mainstream media, you know, they're like Baghdad Bob. There's nothing to see here. There's no fraud, you know, to move on. Biden is elected president. He's president-elect. He's picked his cabinet. He's, why can't we get on with the tradition? Why doesn't you know, just get on with the transition? Donald Trump should take a knee. He should, all this. Uh, the Constitution was designed by our founding fathers knowing that they didn't, the founding fathers really didn't trust voters. They didn't trust voting. They knew the they, they were students of ancient Greek democracies, and ancient Greek democracies 
often acted like wild mobs. And uh, our founding fathers knew that elections could be completely fraudulent or flawed or failed one way or another. So the Constitution has written that the state legislatures are really in charge. They set the rules for how the elections are run in the states, and they pick the electors. And they don't have to pick the electors to the Electoral College the way the voters voted. The state legislature thinks something was wrong with the election. So there's a lot of different checks and balances. Ultimately, if the Supreme Court decides that the Electoral College is so messed up and and failed, maybe they fail even for someone to get 270 electoral votes, well, the, the next default is to throw the election into Congress. House, the House picks, House of Representatives picks the president and the Senate picks the vice president. I think that's what's going to happen this year. And I think the Supreme Court will be very much in favor of Donald Trump. Now, if the House picks the president, they're controlled, aren't they, Dr. Corsi, by the Democrats? Will that work out okay for Trump? Or I know there's strong support in the House, but doesn't the, uh, don't the Democrats have the control of that? How will that work out? Well, the Democrats have the majority control, but Article 2 of the Constitution says that in voting for president, each state gets one vote, the delegation votes for the state. In other words, which state, the states, you have to look and see, which, you know, does the state have a majority Republican or majority Democrat members of, of the House? And the Republicans actually control 26 of the state delegations. The Democrats only control 23. You know, states like California and New York have a lot of Democratic representatives, but those numbers don't translate into the Democrats controlling the delegations in each of the states. And so yeah, and know, it, it depending and so basically I think the Republicans have the advantage in the House. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the most interesting things about that recitation, Dr. Corsi, I think that's fascinating. And hardly anybody knows that. That's why I'm glad you're spelling this out because all people really know is they're looking at separate instances of alleged fraud in different states and lawsuits being filed and either dismissed or courts not ruling, not at all considering the bigger picture as to what would be the easiest, smoothest, fastest path, Operation Warp Speed for Donald Trump more than the vaccine, to get to the Supreme Court out of all of the different types of lawsuits, certainly nowhere near one size fits all given what's been filed in different states. What do you think is the best chance that the president has in getting the case that he needs to get in front of the Supreme Court? I know you've sent them your ebook, and you know what, Dr. Corsi, I'll bet they're going to read it. What do you think is the best path for one of these lawsuits to get there? Actually, the White House has read the ebook, and President Trump oh, has read it too. That's great. Right. That's great. And, All right. Know, again, <laughs> the ebook is is so important because I show you how the Constitution works and how the politics are played out, and. So you really understand it's a legal game now, and it's a constitutional game, and you have to understand how our founders created the process. It's not common sense, and we're not taught history or, or civics anymore, so it's important to know what the rules are. Now, I think the Supreme Court is the best path because um, the, there the issue is equal rights under the 14th Amendment. No state can take an action which denies a citizen, the equal rights under law. So again, there's some very important issues here. Certain states engaged in fraud, 
and I think there's good evidence that they did, then the equal rights of Trump voters were trashed by those states which allowed the fraudulent votes to be counted. Now, the, the basic issue, I think, coming to the Supreme Court is I'm framing it as a very simple one. And I think that there's precedent in the Supreme Court and some court, some decisions Chief Justice Roberts has made where you can use statistical evidence and probability evidence and like to say that there is fraud. But the argument I'd make is real simple about this election, and that is I, I, I envision this couple in Iowa or somewhere in the Midwest where they've been married for 50 years and they're watching this on television and the husband turns to the wife and says, Martha, what do you think? And she says, this ain't right. This just ain't right. It just ain't right. Yeah. Well, and that's the bottom line, you know, you, the, to the fact that we can elect a president when there's this much question about fraud, when there's this much dispute when the states are Democratic governors and they don't care what anybody says. Democratic secretaries of state, they're going to do it their way. And they don't care that the Constitution says there has to be a state law to control this presidential election in the state. They make up rules as they go along and uh, allow fraudulent votes. So uh, these these two cases in the video in the Georgia Center, yes. well, that, that's the way we normally do ballots. I mean, come on. I mean, it's ridiculous. And And so basically Americans are saying – you can't elect the president when there's this much question. And I'm saying the Supreme Court can take a look at this and they can apply World War II logic. I mean, World War II, they had a expression FUBAR, F-U-B-A-R, and it meant, you know, the situation this is all so completely messed up. So messed up beyond all recovery. In other words, we're in battle. This thing has just gone so messed up. You're never going to recover how we didn't have the right equipment. We didn't know where the enemy was. It's confusing. And normally, World War II and in all wars, the experience is it's just completely messed up. And here you are about to get shot at or being shot at. And and it's being, so the, the Supreme Court says the election failed. It's just failed. We're not we're not we'll never figure out which were the legitimate and the illegitimate votes. Never going to happen. So the Supreme Court says, well, the Constitution gives us a default. And then, as we say, thank you for the election. Forget about all this, you know, all the squabbling over whether the ballots are for right or the ballots aren't right. and Who the electors are. And all. we're just going to send it to Congress and the House of Representatives will pick the president and the. Senate will pick the vice president. And by the way, that's the way our earliest elections in the Republic were typically settled. So this is this is really a procedure the Constitution set up to handle situation just like we're experiencing today. Yeah, no, Dr. Corsi, that's great stuff. Um, we want to thank you so much for joining us. And uh, your website is CorsiNation.com. And boy, is that just packed full of interesting well i'm going to say fascinating information it is uh larry and i have both checked it out and watched, watched some of your videos and your books sound very provocative as well so uh you are really doing some passionate work there thank you so much for joining the show and thank oh, my you great to, pleasure thank you thank you doctor. thank you and thank you to our listeners have a wonderful safe weekend and please join us next week for more of today with dr wendy headlines with a silver lining have a great week. God bless you.
Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. My co-host Larry Dersham and I have a great show for you tonight as we always do. And guess what it's going to be about. It has been over a month since the presidential election. It seems hard to believe because we've talked about pretty much nothing else between then and now. But we ask you just briefly to pardon the interruption. Ha ha. That's going to be the topic we'd like to talk about just briefly presidential pardons, and not just any kind of presidential pardons, but preemptive pardons. Now, why is that important and why is that so misunderstood? When you think about clemency, you often think about executive forgiveness, forgiving somebody for something that they've already done, commuting a sentence, uh, somehow righting a wrong in, in, in terms of the reasons that presidents give pardons to begin with. But what you've heard discussed over the last couple of days is what we'll call preemptive pardon power. In other words, pardoning somebody for things that occurred in the past that they haven't yet been charged for in the future. It's sort of like if you bump into somebody at Trader Joe's and say, pardon me, you don't have to wait to be charged with battery for that to be forgiven. So, too, the president has been looking around his social circle, his circle of influence, and deciding whether or not there's somebody who deserves prospective forgiveness. But remember, this is not a a warranty. In other words, a pardon doesn't affect future behavior. It only can impact what you've already done in the past. So think about it this way. They protect against potential criminal exposure, not potential crime. Now, having said all of that, why are we talking about the president pardoning family members? This president has the most squeaky clean family uh, that most people could even think of. Here's why they're talking about it. The president isn't worried that his family members have committed a crime. He's worried about potential vindictive prosecution. That is what the Trump administration has been discussing. Now, I know that many of the Republicans are saying, well, gosh, maybe he ought to pardon Joe Biden. (laughs) After all, Joe Biden's been under investigation for a variety of things over the last couple of years, just like many members of the president's sphere of influence. We're also talking about it because the pardoning of Flynn might have opened the floodgates as to the, the amount of people that are probably reaching out looking for potentially their own presidential pardons. But that has to be something that the president has to discuss necessarily, because all presidents do. In fact, if you looked at the numbers of which presidents pardoned who and how many, the numbers are staggering. This president actually, in the grand scheme of things, has not 
issued anywhere near the amount of presidential pardons as some of his precedents have done. But you know, there is nothing that explicitly says you have to just pardon people you know. I mean, remember Jimmy Carter uh, famously pardoned draft dodgers. Um, you had President Clinton pardoned his brother, all in the family. So there's really a very broad spectrum of people that fall under this rule. The one question that people have been asking, that's a fascinating question from a constitutional law standpoint, is can a president pardon himself? But our president said it best. Why would he? He hasn't done anything wrong. Now, if we were to just take this to an academic argument, we would probably say no president has ever tried, so you really don't know. And that would be interesting academically. Um, but instead of talking about things that are probably not going to happen, um, we're going to sort of turn our attention, Larry, to, to things that already are. But I'll leave you with this when it comes to the success of potential pardons. One reason that our president might want to test the limits of this, even though there may not have already been a case on point, is that for the very first time in recent years, the Supreme Court stands at a 6-3 conservative majority. Think about this, Larry. Our president has appointed himself one-third of the Supreme Court. So as we continue to talk about election lawsuits and all of this, you know, if there ever were a time that the Supreme Court actually would decide to hear an election-related lawsuit, this would be the time. Not only do we have that conservative majority, but we also have one of the most important questions that we could ever have of the election. Absolutely. Yeah. Before I get into the election part of it, Wendy, uh, first of all, I like to tell everybody, you know, we all know this. We're living through historical times. Uh, I've been, you know, th throughout my lifetime, I don't think I've ever seen times in the United States quite like this. And what I'd like to talk about first, if I may, before we get back into the election, uh, is a resist. I call it resisting the hypocrisy bureaucracy. So, OK, we know Newsom got caught with his friends in the French laundry high end a restaurant in Napa, didn't have a mask, wasn't social distancing. He was with a bunch of people. Diane Feinstein gets caught on camera walking through the airport with her staff, no mask. Nancy Pelosi, we all remember that one, beauty shop without a mask. And how about Chicago Mayor Lightfoot? It goes on and on, no mask. So it's like two systems of justice. And uh, this is this latest one in L.A. County. Uh, they just voted to ban not only indoor eating, but outdoor eating. So shortly after making that vote, County Supervisor Sheila Kuehl, you may remember her, this goes so far back, she played Zelda on Dobie Gillis, that's the oh Sheila Kuehl I'm talking about, got caught in Santa Monica eating at a high-end favorite restaurant of hers. Don't Just after she voted. Know? They don't. But here's the thing, Wendy. Here's the thing. I think this is, okay, we, we say, okay, hypocrite. We kind of laugh about it and kind of mentally wag our, our finger at them or so. But there's a bigger story. And here's the bigger story in my mind. These people are indicating by their actions they're not afraid of the coronavirus. Because, you know, if it were something super serious, they wouldn't be doing that. The real story, in my opinion, is these lockdowns, all the mask mandates, the business closures, the curfews, and not to mention, uh, you know, the social distancing are conditioning us to get used to living under tyranny. I call it, you know, to impose the Great Reset. I know that's controversial to say that, but what else would you think? Why wouldn't they be, if they're that afraid of the virus, why would they be acting that way? 
And then well, one of the things one of the things we have to remember about this, Larry, um, just to break this up, is uh, I'll play the devil's advocate side of this. Uh, there have been many studies that have shown that something like an N95 is very effective against guarding against contracting the virus. Um, the studies are mixed in terms of whether or not masks work. So the the narrative seems to be the dueling narratives seem to be the following: you have people that certainly do not appreciate the infringement on liberty because it does border on, as you're talking about, some type of social control. And then on the other hand, you have people that genuinely want to stay safe. They want to protect family members that might be compromised or at risk, but they feel like there should be more of a professional liability slash uh, personal responsibility dichotomy. In other words, given the low amount of people that claim to have gotten sick at restaurants, I know coronavirus, who knows where you got it, maybe there are better ways of allowing us to sort of socially police ourselves instead of telling us where we can and can't go. And Larry, one other thing um, that I'd love to hear your thoughts on is given all these mandates and the lockdowns and the orders, how do you enforce what law enforcement agencies across the nation have basically said, look, we're allocating our resources to fighting crime, not making sure people are masked and socially distanced when they're in their own homes. I 100 percent agree with those law enforcement officials. I agree with so many of the county sheriffs throughout the land, not only in California, but in other places, saying that's not my job. I'm not going to enforce those laws. You know, we've got the curfew here in California. Governor Newsom is threatening to introduce some more new regulations this weekend. And uh, so I, I think that we all need to take a page. And this is my opinion. I'm really stepping on the line here. You don't necessarily have to agree with me, nor the station, but I think we need to start reading about Mahatma Gandhi and his peaceful civil disobedience. Or how about Martin Luther King Jr., that wonderful man, his ideas on peaceful civil disobedience. What if they tell you, you know, some outrageous thing, you, you got to give your firstborn over to the state or something like that. When does it stop? When do we fight back? And these, they don't give you statistics on how many people are committing suicide. They don't give you statistics on how many people are, are suffering severe depression who are not going into the family doctors because they can't get in. I think yeah, we, we, don't, need we, a don't focus, like... we need a focused approach and not this yeah. mass every one size fits all. It's wrong. Yeah, I think it seems like the uh, a lot of what a lot of the pushback the governor is getting, you know, you talked about the hypocrisy. Um, it's also true. However, there's got to be a happy medium in there somewhere where we do care if we go below 15 percent of, of ICU beds, which is partially the reason that the governors, not just of California, but other states have been talking about a lockdown. But you're you're correct in that we certainly don't want to have the suicides, the depression, the anxiety, the, the lack of pro-social resources available to people who are used to going to after-school programs, all the other types of things that young people particularly need at the cost of simply enforcing mandates. Um, there's got to be a happy medium in there somewhere. And, you know, week by week, we continue to, to think through some of these issues together, and I think we're going to probably get it right eventually. One thing that distinguishes the time we live in now, though, Larry, from March, is that we've learned more about the virus now that it shouldn't justify another lockdown. And that exactly. has people very frustrated. Is We've come way too far to backslide into rules and regulations that might have been appropriate pre-COVID protocol, Amen. but certainly aren't, aren't appropriate now. Vaccines around um, the corner. 
Vaccines around the corner. So we have a very special guest for you uh, on the other side of the break. Um, very special in terms of a, a very feisty advocate for some of the uh, election integrity lawsuits that you're hearing about going on across the country. You do not want to turn that dial because this is going to be a very exciting second half. So stick with us. You are listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. We are back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. 